Welcome to the Youth Capital Podcast with your hosts, Zach Swan and Jonah Wenzel. Join us as we dive deep into the world of finance, business and wealth creation. Please note we are not financial advisors. All information on this channel is not financial advice. All content created by Youth Capital is created solely for educational and entertainment purposes only. Consult with a licensed financial advisor before making any investment decision. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Youth Capital Podcast. Today on the show, we have Sam Kosh. Sam is a Senior Equity Analyst at Wilson Asset Management. Wilson Asset Management is an independently owned investment manager based in Sydney that manages eight listed investment companies and almost $5 billion on behalf of over 130,000 retail shareholders. Sam has more than six years experience in financial markets. He holds a Bachelor of Business and is a CFA charge holder. Before we begin, we are not financial advisors. All information on this channel is not financial advice. Consult with a licensed financial advisor before making any investment-related decisions. Wilson Asset Management may or may not hold a position in some of the companies that are discussed today. Thanks for coming on the show today, Sam. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, G'day, Sam. Um, what do you reckon sparked your passion for the industry? And can you give a bit of background on how you kind of got into um, what you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually came across the industry a little later in life. Um, I was doing, you know, during my last year of university, I was doing a fair bit of traveling. And um, this was back in 2012 and 2013. And... Um, you sort of pick up the fact that there's a lot of events happening globally and, and, and I was just sort of really struck by the idea of trying to make money or, or investing alongside this. And this is what was happening with the sort of European debt crisis at the time when everyone was worried about all the European countries effectively defaulting on their, on their interest um, bills. So, I mean, I was captiva- captivated by that and, and really keen to, to jump into that. Even though I was finishing a an unrelated degree in architecture. Um, whilst I was traveling, I couldn't really sort of separate myself from that Bloomberg app and from like financial markets and, and trying to really unpick why things were moving at certain points in time. So I guess it was pretty obvious to me that I needed to jump out of that field and jump into investing. And, you know, as soon as I did that, I enrolled in the CFA program, um, you know, glued into markets and then just tried to, just try to work my way towards that sort of buy side um, career path. So how did you get from architecture to your uh, job at, at uh, Wilson Asset Management now? Is a yes, it's a long a path, but it's um, it? yeah, it's a big change. To be honest, I, I jumped straight into any job that I could find in 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 the investment space, whether it was um, you know front office or or the back office, and I jumped straight into sort of fund administration and fund accounting. Um, and that way you're, you're across those products and you're doing unit pricing and you're trying to understand how the funds work, um, how the investment vehicles work. And that gives you sort of a solid platform to build off from that point, from that point in time. Pretty good time to get into the market after the debt crisis as well. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about market cycles at the time, but yeah, sure. It would, have, it would have been even better to get into the GFC. Like I actually wish I had have started yeah. investing earlier in my life and wish I actually got on the investment train earlier in my life. But, um, you know, better late than never. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, today we're keen to get a beginner's guide for investing. If you can take us through the maybe five steps you'd use to get started investing. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point because, um, as I said, like, Early on, even though you want to get involved, you, you don't know how to. Yeah, it's it's really hard to to like where do I start? 
what share do I buy? What platform do I use? All those types of questions. Well, and start, yeah. it's really overwhelming. Where do I start? What do I do? Yeah. Where do I start? What do I do? And, you know, like, do I buy, you know, Square or Afterpay previously? Do I buy CBA? Like, it's just, there's, there's so much information out there. I think um, what really helped me and reflecting on that is just sort of having a framework. And I reckon it's worthwhile using sort of like five steps to, to get started. Um, for me, the, 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 the fundamental question, the first question you have to ask yourself is, you know, what are your goals? That's the first question. Um, asking yourself questions like, you know, am I trying to save for a car? Am I trying to save for a house? You know, over what time frame am I looking to really um, achieve that outcome as well? Sort of helps you understand what your investment goals actually are. Yeah. Um, when you talk about like, is that goal realistic? Because there's so much stuff out there on social media and, you know, like, oh, you can hear from a mate, you know, this company is going to do whatever, five times or six times in a year. And obviously that's very, very unlikely in happening. Because I think it's important you do your own research and, you know, that realistic time frame. you know, can I make that whatever, 10K or 15K in, in a year or do I have to wait two or three years? I think that's an important part that, you, you know, you have to, do a bit of research on as well because there is so much stuff out there that's just get rich quick and it's just not realistic at all. Yeah, it's actually a quick way to lose money um, off sometimes off, off those sort of little tips and um, that, that people give you um, because unless you do your own research, like it's really hard to have your own conviction if a share price is going against you to, to buy more or, or to sell the position, whatever it might require. Um, <laughs> I reckon the second step is is trying to understand, you know, how much time you're willing to invest to investing as well. Um, you know, this is really important because if you if you're investing, um, you know, if you're investing in the stock market, then you're probably going to be running up against people that are spending their whole entire careers, you know, the the whole days looking at the share market, day in like day stuff, out. Yeah. Um, you're like yourself, like the the industry is huge, um, so trying to work out, you know, what, whether you want to spend, you know, one to two hours a week, is it five to 10 hours a week, or, or do you want to actually do it as a job? Is some of those questions that you probably want to help answer. And then ultimately, um, as we'll touch on a bit, I'm sure, um, your, your portfolio probably reflects how much work you want to be doing, um, on that as well. Yeah. And ultimately that's going to really define your entire investment journey how much time you're willing to invest. Yeah. And turn, like what type of investor you are. I mean, I think we're going to go into that um, in a little bit further down the line, but how much time you kind of put into it really determines, I think there's a high correlation between the amount of time and I guess your uh, risk tolerance. Um, yeah. So obviously if you do no research and you just want to put your money in an ETF or an index fund, you don't really have to do anything. Um, but then if you want to, like you said, 20, 30 hours a week, you might be looking at the, uh, your penny stocks or your smaller companies hoping for that, for that high growth. So yeah, I think that's quite an interesting point. Yeah. And people always say, oh, there's no time to invest, but we'll go into the alternatives later. Like Wilson asset management role in that. And those people that want to get into the markets, but don't have the time or don't want to learn. Exactly. There's a, like, there's a range of products out there from, you know, really cheap index funds to active managers as well, that, that sort of cater to people who are looking to outsource investment management effectively. Um, but I, I definitely understand the, the excitement involved with, with picking your own stock and, and watching it go up for sure. Especially getting um, into it. Sorry. 
early. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Especially yeah, the, those individual investors often can't, without a lot of knowledge, can't perform with the market over time either. It's hard to. It's yeah. hard to, for sure. Mate. At the start of, um, especially people our age, um, you know, between you know, 18 and 25 looking to get it, they've, maybe they've gotten their, their interest from social media and seen these people making so much money so quickly and then they think, oh, I can do this. I can, I can recreate that when it's just, it's just not really realistic in, in any way whatsoever. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. Um, and when it feels easy, it probably is um, an interesting time to reflect on um, on whether it's become too easy and, and if everyone's making money around you, then it might be a good time to sell. Like I think a really interesting anecdote was that, you know, people who previously weren't in the industry or people who weren't involved in, in markets were making a lot of money on crypto, like a lot of money on crypto. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, tens of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the question at that point is like, has it, you know, a market's a little bit too loose. Um, has it become too easy? And then, you know, unfortunately we've seen what's, what's happened in that space recently, um, which is the other side of that coin. Yeah. For sure. And what's that quote? Don't confuse um, brains with a bull market. I think that's a good one to reflect yeah. on all that. <laughs> I like <Classic>. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Number three, Sam. Um, where were we? I've forgotten our steps. I think we're at number, number three. Number three now, yeah. Number three. So I think the, the next point is like, so how much money are you willing to invest? Um, this is this is really important too because you obviously, you don't want to bet the farm on, on something that, you know, over time um, might not deliver on the goals that you're looking to achieve. Obviously, savings, savings come first. Um, the way I think about it, um, is that, you know, you probably want to be investing a small portion of, of the money you've saved up or a small portion of your regular ongoing income. Um, and, and you, you invest that money and you sort of want to think about it as I'm not going to touch that money over the next sort of five to 10 years. The worst, the worst situation. Yeah. Do you have a percentage of, of your savings or a percentage of you know, every paycheck you might put in or something like that? Yeah, for me, I typically target, you know, 20 to 30% of my ongoing income on that, Um, you know, 20 to 30 cents of every dollar that you earn effectively. So um, I think the the issue is that obviously if you you invest more or a lot more of your money and and you need that for regular things like like groceries or, or, or shopping or, you know, Christmas presents or whatever it may be, and you might find yourself having to sell um, your investments to fund those purchases at probably the wrong time, which is always the wrong time well. in the market. Yeah. So, um, what about a that's minimum, the tricky bit? A minimum amount that you think people kind of our age or in the younger younger investor sort of range should start with, like thousand bucks, five thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks. What would you say is a, a minimum investment that would make your time and effort worthwhile? Um, I think always stay within what what's relevant for that person's economic situation. Um, I do know that the minimum that I, I, I use Comsec and we'll get into that in a second, I'm sure, um, as a trading platform, I think their minimum's like $500. Um, per trade, right? That's because per trade. Um, so, you know, keep, keep that in mind. But, you know, I started with, you know, one and a half grand in terms of some of my, my early investments. Um, 
and and yeah so it just depends on on that person's circumstances yeah yeah and obviously bigger chunks offset brokerage a little bit exactly as you scale up yeah people yeah. go into yeah, different definitely. types of platforms because there's all different types of uh you know some of bigger brokerage with more information or some of no brokerage with less information it kind of comes back to what you're going to get yeah. out of it so i think we'll go into that a little bit later what about uh number yeah. four uh, yeah, so. step number four. I better come up with five steps, otherwise I'm setting myself up for failure here. But, um, <laughs> step number four. So, what type of investor are you, and, and what what is your process? Um, the process is a big, ugly word. So maybe I just start with the what type of investor are you, and it helps you think about like, am I am I checking the market every single day? Like, you know, have I bought Westpac and it's up? it's up two cents and I feel like I need to sell it and take that profit or if I am, am I invested in it for the long term? Um, so am I a short term trader or a long term trader? Am I like a, a value um, oriented trader? Am I looking for deeply discounted assets? Um, or am I looking for like a growth stock with growth potential? Um, there's, there's people that that invest based on trying to pick stocks. And there's other people that invest based on you know, trying to understand macro trends and, and the like, and there's been plenty of macro trends over the last three to four years. So I think, um, long story short, there is so many different ways to, to, to make and lose money in the markets. So I think just understanding the psychology and and your own behavior is, is really key to understanding what type of investor you're going to be and what sort of fits with you. Um, that that's how I would frame that point. For those who don't understand, can you briefly explain what, what the difference is, say, between like a, a growth stock or, say, a, a blue chip, which is a term that gets thrown around a lot, um, just yeah. for those who may not have, might not have heard those terms before? Yeah, difference between growth stocks and value stocks. Yeah, the industry tends to sort of split um, investors based on growth and, and value. Um, and what that means is that, you know, a growth stock is, is typically one that can grow um, they can keep on growing for many, many years into the future. And, um, they tend to be, you know, pricier, they're more expensive stocks. If I think about, um, CSL as a large cap, um, stock in the Australian market that people might know that is probably, uh, deemed, you know, a growth company, um, and has, you know, demonstrated that over a long period of time. Um, on the on the value side of things, the, you're typically looking at um, companies that are a lot cheaper, that might not be able to grow every single year into the future, and that might be for a number of reasons. They might be facing, you know, short-term headwinds. For instance, um, you know, I'll give you an example: Event Cinemas, um, which is a company that owns you know cinema assets around Australia. Um, that is one that everyone thought that, you know, Disney and Netflix and all those guys were going to heavily compete against them. And the, you know, the, the history or the future of cinema was dead. And so for a while that was considered a heavily discounted value stock. Um, or it might be a company that might be facing, you know, headwinds from a deteriorating, uh, housing market, um, and the like. So I think there's, there's two buckets there, but, the way we like to think about it is that you can have you can have value and growth at the same time by really doing your homework and really identifying what drives a company's share price and then where those sort of those underappreciated aspects of the company are. I think it's, it's ultimately to touch on the, the end game um, is to make money in the markets. 
Yeah. I, I do think it's important to uh, just briefly touch on uh, the, the risk to reward ratio because obviously with your with your bigger uh, bigger value companies, obviously you might only get you know between seven to ten percent per year. You know, whereas with a, a smaller you know penny stocks, a bit of a uh, not a great word, but a smaller company that you know has higher growth potential. You know, you might get you might get one hundred percent, or you might get fifty percent per year. So, um, but then also the risk is, you know, they're linked, obviously positively correlated, because um, a smaller company can very much, very easily go to zero, a lot, a lot smaller than, let's say, a CSL or a BHP or something. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, I think generally speaking, um, you know, the the large large cap sort of universe of companies, you know, the BHPs and the CBAs, Woolworths and, and Coles of the world tend to um, you know, not be as volatile as um, small cap and micro cap stocks. So those, those smaller businesses listed on the ASX. Um, you, can still, you can still generate meaningful um, sort of returns from that space if you, if you time things in the, in the large cap universe. Um, where my team and I uh, focus in on is the sort of small cap area, and we'll go into that later, I'm sure, um, that small cap area where you can get, um, you know, outsized returns um, if you pick the right companies. But obviously, as you said, they're fraught with, uh, with risk. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of companies that don't do so well in that small cap area um, because, you know, they might not have the right management, they might not have the right technology or an established business. Um, I think yeah. it comes down to the amount of research. And like you said, you really have to do your research on the individual companies as well to try and find those, you know, maybe they've got a bit more debt than you thought or, you know, the inventory's building up over the last few years. And that comes down to the amount of research and time you're willing to put into your, to your stock picking or investing. So, yeah. yeah. And we'll get into some hard investing lessons learnt soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've got plenty of stories to share there. And um, number five, least important of them all. So what platform are you going to use? Um, so how are you going to actually trade um, a share on the on the share market? So I use Comsec. It works for me um, just because I have the bank account tied up to it. But there are so many platforms out there that, that people can use. You know, some that I'm thinking about now is sort of like Raise, um, Stake, Superhero, uh, shares is out of New Zealand, self wealth. There, there's heaps. Um, so make sure, make sure. I guess um, everyone does their due diligence. Everyone does their research on which platform suits them best. Some platforms won't charge you money uh, for brokerage. Um, the flip side of that is that you probably need to think about if they're not charging me brokerage here, then they must be getting money somewhere. Um, and the classic case of Robin Hood exists where they. Um, they, they sell information to, to hedge funds around, um, you know, trades. So just just read, read um, I guess, product disclosure statements in detail and, and do your research on the on the What do you look for in terms of research? When you, well, what, do you, what do you suggest someone our, like kind of our age would, would, uh, should look for when, when trying to choose a platform or a broker? Yep. Um, work out how much they're going to be charging you on brokerage. As a, as a starting point. So, um, you know, work out what the, the flat rate is or if it's a rate as a percentage of, um, of how much you're trading. Um, from memory, I think 
you know, Comsec is like ten or twenty dollars for for small trades, um, and obviously it goes up as you trade higher and higher amounts, but but it's a smaller percentage of yep. your overall trade. Um, so there's there's that point. Secondly, sharesies, I know for a fact that in New Zealand at least they they allow sort of fractional investments in in companies so and if you can't afford to buy one share in a particular company and you only want to buy half a share i think that's what they they allow that's some decent functionality there um and obviously you know understand what these platforms are doing with your data um is key and then probably lastly um what additional functionality does it give you in terms of do you want to trade the US markets? Do you want to trade, you know, other global markets or just Australia? Um, does it let you do other things instead of just, you know, straight equities? Um, there's a bunch of things to, to look at. Another important point there is if it's ASX chess sponsored, that means that the ASX actually holds your shares instead of the broker. So if the broker's holding your shares, um, not the ASX, if the broker goes under, it's not 100% clear what's happens to your shares. So always check if it's ASX chess sponsored and if that's a concern for you. Yep. That's a good point. Uh, well, thanks for those uh, five steps, Sam. Um, how important do you think it is to do, like, obviously it's important, but um, what type of research? Um, and can you just give a bit of insight into, you know, research into the markets? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it's really important. Um, want to underscore, underline that point a couple of times, just because I think um, doing your own research on, on a stock and making your own decisions um, helps you make sure that you're accountable to yourself and then, you know, effectively make sure that you improve as an investor over time as well if, if you sort of identify how you've, how you've made good trades or, 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 or investment decisions and how you've made bad ones. Um, you know, I've got a story like when I first joined the industry, um, I invested, you know, um, one, one and a half thousand dollars into a little company called Megastar Millionaire. And to be honest, um, the, the tip off came off from a, a person that I really respect in the industry. Um, they'd done their own homework on the, on the business and were making their own decisions based on that. I just, I, I invest, I invested based on what, you know, they told me and didn't follow up with my own work. Probably the, the best lesson I could have, could have had, an expensive lesson, but the best lesson I could have had in the markets early on, just to understand, you know, um, exactly where you see the growth potential in that particular business. And to give you context, it was, um, it was a company that was trying to do Australian Idol for your mobile phone. Um, all great in practice, all great in, in theory and all that type of stuff, but never really got off the ground. And unfortunately I lost 90% of my money on that. I've, I've got, I've got, um, the check they actually gave me for, um, when you become an insignificant shareholder, um, I think it went from <laughs> one and a half grand down to, down to, you know, whatever it was like a hundred dollars and they were like, Oh, you probably can't sell your shares now. So here's a check. And so I haven't cashed the check. It's just, it's just a good reminder. You probably don't want to get that up for the, the listeners. Yeah. It went from 30 cents in November 1st, 2017. And one year later, August 1st, it was 0. 0.002 cents.
good investment. Yeah. Good tip yeah. off. I think everyone has one of like at least one or two of those stories. It's just a tip off from a mate or like that forty million dollar market cap mining company that's all speculation and, and exploration and, and when something happens. Um, before you know it, you lose ninety percent. So uh, I think everyone's got those. And yeah, you know, people looking to get into it really have have to understand that that's going to happen one hundred percent. Especially when you're looking at growth and, and and smaller companies like that. You know, that's just a part of it. It's part of the game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, thought it'd just be worth touching on the fact that um, like there was a little bit of insight uh, after doing after doing the CFA program and, and thinking about those sort of five steps and, and what that meant. Um, for sort of how someone would go about actually, you know, building a portfolio for themselves. Um, obviously, there's no advocates here for putting 100% of your money into a company like Megastar Millionaire, um, MSM. So, um, interesting enough, and, and when I did the program um, before jumping into the, or as I was jumping into the industry, they talk about it like a satellite approach where you effectively... Um, put, you know, say if you you had a pool of $10 that you're putting into the market, that you put the majority of that $10, whether it's, you know, six or seven into a um, sort of a cheap index fund, you'd put a couple more dollars into sort of an active fund. Um, so, and we can go into the details between what an index fund and an active fund actually is. And then a smaller portion again into you know, a couple of stocks around the edges um, that you've done the work on yourself and you have a high degree of faith in. Um, and and that sort of helps ensure that, I guess, um, you're getting, you know, good exposure to, to, to what you want out of um, investing, whether it's, you know, identifying companies, but also, um, you know, and, and hopefully outperforming the index over time, um, but also sort of protecting and growing that capital base. Sure. And, um, you said that your team picks stocks, Sam. What does that mean? And can you take us through an example of what you look for and how you assess a management team? Yeah, definitely. Um, so good question around management teams, just because I think that's one of the most important points I've come Very across. Very as well, I feel like. Yeah, and it's also hard to quantify um, when you think about, you know, uh, big, large quant funds that are, or big, large computers that are trying to invest in the background. Um, and compete against, you know, uh, individual stock stock pickers like ourselves. Um, you know, the, the, those computers, those quant teams can't, can't place a number around how good a management team really is. Like it's quite a subjective judgment. Um, but I think it's, I think it's really, really important. Um, so yeah, one of the stocks that, that we've looked at in the past, we've owned shares in the past is, is Brickworks. Um, and it probably has one of the most impressive management teams um, we've come across in, in our space, um, purely because of the fact that um, they've come from a very cyclical industry. Um, it's, a, it's an industry, and what I mean by that is that um, their end market exposure or where they sell their products to is the housing construction industry. So they sell bricks to developers um, and that can be quite cyclical. You know, one year there's, there's plenty of houses being built. The next year, interest rates have risen. People aren't, people aren't building as many houses, right? So it's quite volatile in terms of 
the sort of the revenue and the sales profile and the earnings profile of the business. But what Brickworks have been able to do over the last 46 years is increase their, maintain or increase their dividends for like the last 46 years, which is just phenomenal. <laughs> um, if you're talking about sort of a management team that thinks long-term, I, I can't think of many, many others that think as longer term as, as they have done. Um, and I think like, just as a pure comparison, this is a really easy way of, um, looking at sort of long-term, uh, the value add of some businesses. If you chart their long-term share price brickworks versus some of their peers, you know, whether it's CSR group or Adelaide Brighton or, um, you know, GWA group, you can see that the other ones are cyclical in the sense that they can be quite volatile. Whereas Brickworks is probably over the last 20 years, it's gone up, you know, four times. When you're researching the management team, um, Sam, what exactly, is there like certain things that you look for or do you just do background research on all the, the board and. And obviously Wilson asset management has an advantage over the retail holders. So how can retail holders also assess the management team without having direct contact with the team? Yeah, it's a, a good point. I think, um, our, I guess how we go about it, it should be no different to another person, how they would go about it. Um, even if they didn't work at a fund manager and didn't have access to a management team. Um, so the first thing I do is look at the board and management team, go through their LinkedIn profiles. Where did they previously work? Did they work there for a long period of time or a short period of time? Were their previous experiences a success or were they failures? Um, then you could, then you could work out, you could look at the board construction and go, how many of those board members actually own shares in the business? Um, how many of those board members are actually putting their money on the line instead of just, you know, potentially collecting a, a director fee, um, year in, year out. Same, same deal with management. You know, do they, do they own shares in the business to have skin in the game? Then you'd probably go through their, their, you know, years of presentations and go, okay, so back in 2016, they said they would do this in 2017, they delivered on that. Okay. Tick. Well, they outperform that, you know, double tick or they missed it for a genuine reason, or they missed it just, be, just because it's a cross against the name, right? So you, you, you're sort of building, uh, sort of an understanding of how these, these people within these businesses operate. Um, and then I guess lastly, um, to your point, Zach, you know, as, as fund managers that, that have the opportunity to buy large stakes in businesses, you do get access to management and you get the opportunity to, to talk to them as well, interview them after their, you know, the six month or their, um, their interim or their full year numbers. And you get a sense of, you know, over time, whether they're telling the, whether they're telling the truth or whether they're lying to you. Um, and it's just having that sort of filter, um, and being able to understand, um, you know, where, whether you're being lied to or not, um, effectively. And, and over time you sort of build that repertoire. Yeah. Uh, we're keen to bring it back to Wilson asset management now, like, and why you join the organization, the good work they do and what is an LIC structure and how is it different to the traditional fund manager? Um, great question. So the reason why I joined, uh, Wilson asset management was because, you know, small, 
um, small company, high performance culture, um, but also because of the fact that um, they're they're really keen on honestly making a difference in for for investors, but also for the community at large. Um, for investors, you know, um, we have these you know listed investment company structures, which means that um, the firm um, is you know the assets that we manage on behalf of shareholders is actually listed on the ASX, which means that you don't necessarily see when the market's deteriorating or in a bear market um, situation, um, investors can sell their shares, but they can't pull money out of the vehicle. And so that means that us as uh, managers are actually able to invest against the cycle that we don't that we go from, you know, at the bottom of the cycle, we're actually able to deploy capital and to, to get the best returns for shareholders instead of having uh, less capital at the, the bottom of a bear market to invest. I think that's really, really important. Um, so that's the listed investment company structure. And then on the, on the a further point to making a difference, there are two sort of charitable um, investment vehicles as well. They call them, you know, Future Generation Australia and Future Generation Global. And what those do is they target um, investment and social returns. <clears throat> what happens there, instead of, instead of the asset managers charging a management fee of, of 1% of assets, so say, say you own shares um, in those vehicles um, and you owned $100 worth of shares, um, and every year, a typical asset manager would charge you 1%. So you'd have to pay $1 off to the asset manager, um, to pay for their services in, in these vehicles, that $1 doesn't go to the asset manager, it actually goes to charity instead. So there are actually no, no fees at all in the future generation vehicles, all that gets donated to charity. <clears throat> and since their inception, you know, probably five, six years ago, these vehicles have donated over $50 million to charity, which is just phenomenal and mind blowing. Um, so those are, I guess that's one of the key reasons why, um, I was so keen to join WAM and the work that they're doing community wide. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll have links to Wilson asset management down below and links to the future generation, all the good work you guys do. And yeah, the, um, results for Wilson asset management speak for themselves. If you want to have to take a look at the website. And, um, and our final bit, any advice to our listeners in order for them to stay up to date in terms of reading, podcasts? Yeah, good question. Yeah, definitely. Um, the fact that you're already listening to this podcast is a great step in the right direction, I think, just because you, um, listeners are keen to, um, keen to understand what's happening in markets and how to get involved. Um, there are plenty of podcasts out there uh, to listen to. Um, but I think just 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 starting early is, is a really good way of doing it. Um, and then just reading, there are plenty of books out there, um, you know, expectations analysis by, uh, Michael Mabosson is a great way of thinking about how people, um, how people price, um, stocks and the expectations that are built into stocks. Um, staying on top of, of news and, and, and news flow across the market. So I actually use Bloomberg, you know, the 
all the print, um, AFR, Sydney Morning Herald, The Australian, Twitter a lot, um, just CNBC, anything to to keep you abreast of what's happening in markets. Um, And you probably, once you've got a taste for being on top of information, understanding how it impacts markets and how it moves markets, I think it's it's contagious um, and it becomes a really passionate um, thing within your life. So um, obviously just uh, my advice would be back yourself, um, do your own research and then back yourself and then just work out, you know, where you're making the right decisions and the wrong decisions and then um, invest accordingly. Yeah. And if you make the wrong decisions, where, where did you go wrong? And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like you either make money or you or you you learn something, and then you can use that again to make some money in the in, in the next trade. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great, great point. And a couple of the best podcasts have inspired us: the Equity Mates podcast and the Australian Investors podcast. I know we met Sam through the Equity Mates FinFest event in Sydney a few months ago. Yeah, that was great. That was a good event, wasn't it? That was yeah, very good. really well, yeah. well put together. <laughs> Did you guys jump on the um the bucking ball at the end or? I didn't. No, I was we, way too tired no. at the end of that. Yeah, we were there since the <laughs> I was start. Till, by the end of that thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a long day, but there's some really good content. There. I would have paid yeah. to see you on that thing, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> next time, mate. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming um, on the show awesome. today, Sam. I think that'll hope everyone that'll do awesome. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really no appreciate your time. And- Pleasure to get to know you, get to meet, and we'll uh, hopefully have you on again at some at a later stage. Yes, awesome. thanks, Sam. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, cheers. cheers.